Thanks, Andy. And grab your Bibles and open to Proverbs 15. Proverbs chapter 15. We are uh, taking a one-week break from Galatians. We'll be back in that next week. Um, to have a to to do a message on on wisdom, we we need some wisdom in our lives, and I'm going to explain more about that in a minute. But I'm just gonna I'm gonna read this this section of Proverbs to just kind of whet your appetite and and introduce some of the main themes that we're going to be talking about today. So if you've got a Bible from one of the ushers, that's page five hundred and ninety nine, five ninety nine. So if you're in Proverbs fifteen, will you please stand if you're able? And we're standing because we are saying what we're reading here, we are reverencing it, respecting it as the word of God. Proverbs 15, starting in verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but not so the hearts of fools. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord but he loves him who pursues righteousness. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. It is the word of God. You may be seated. And as you are, let's pray one more time. God, what we just read are little nuggets of wisdom. And if we apply those things to our lives, that'd be really good. But we don't naturally embrace wisdom, we push it away. We don't naturally embrace your word because it's your word and it's not our word. We don't like being under authority, we don't like being told what to do. And yet you have every right to do that, first of all. And second of all, everything you tell us is for our good, everything. And so please speak that, those words of life to us today as we look at your word. Open our eyes to behold the wonderful things that are, that are said here. And God, while I pray that for us, I want to lift up risen Savior Lutheran Church in Chandler. Pastor Ron there is preaching four services. He's done with three. He's got one more to go. God, give him stamina, give him energy, and empower his words to make a lasting impact on the lives that are, of the people that are listening him, to him this morning. God, may people be saved and may people grow in that salvation as a result of his words today. May the people be so incredibly moved by your word through him that they go out into their world and tell that world how wonderful Christ is. God, would you do that at Risen Savior? Would you do that here at Redeemer? Bless your word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So hey, do you like um, nature shows? You like those shows? Do you ever watch those shows? I used to watch more of those shows until I got married. My wife doesn't like those shows. She doesn't, she, you know, all of it's fine until there's a death on the, on the screen, you know, and then that's when she checks out. And so 
Um, I used to watch a lot of those, don't watch a lot of those anymore. And so to get my fill, we were going to show you a uh, clip of one of these nature shows. Where, it's a classic scene where there's the gazelles out grazing, and then there's the lions that pop their heads up and are, oh, what's that, dinner? You know, and so we're going to show you that, and we're going to show you the chase, and we're going to show you the right up to the moment when the when the lion is about to pounce on the little baby gazelle, and you know we're going to stop it right there, and you know we're not doing that though. But the reason the reason we're going to show you that is because I believe that is a picture of our church that we are little weak vulnerable gazelle. We're two years into this, um, what, what would we call it, extreme makeover church edition. You know, we're, we're two and a half years into this thing. And while we're, we're, we're better than we used to be, we're not as good as we hope to be, that we're a lot like a toddler. We're, we're great and wonderful and beautiful and silly and funny like our, our toddler named Ava. You know, we're, we're all of those things. We're, you know, but we, we trip sometimes and we say stupid things and we're not polished you know, but then at the same time, all of that's funny, but we're also extremely weak and vulnerable. We're, we're brand new. We're, we're, we're not even three years old yet. Now, I don't think we're going to be vulnerable theologically. Maybe that's pride, but um, that's what, what me and your, your elders and Dale, like this is what we've given our lives to is studying God's word and understanding it and applying it and and frankly, I don't know how to do anything else than other than teach the Bible. I have no other skills than that. I am completely useless in every other area of life except for teaching the Bible. And so as a result of that, I'm not worried that we're going to be <clears throat> weak theologically or, or that we're going to suddenly one day just decide, well, let's not teach the Bible anymore. That's not something you have to be worried about. What I'm talking about today is not theological, it's relational. Because I think we are weak relationally. I think we're vulnerable relationally. I think we're vulnerable relationally because there is this idea out there that we should treat all people the same. This is a, this is a series called Lies Christians Believe. I know we're not doing it week after week. and just do another one every once in a while to, to address another line. I think this is an important for, one for us to think about. Treat all people the same. Give every single person love and acceptance and trust and grace and all of those things. Now, for me to call that a lie, for some of you, you might be going like, wait a minute. Like, that's, isn't that Christian to do that? Is, shouldn't we do that with everybody? Shouldn't we treat everybody exactly the same? Shouldn't we give everybody the same amount of grace and love? Because isn't that what Jesus does with us? So we do that with other people? Well, let's just remember, let's remember this, that the Bible is a left-handed message for a right-handed world. That what the Bible teaches at first doesn't always seem to sound right. It sounds weird. It doesn't feel right. But let me help you with something. Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust them. Instead, let's trust the word. And let's take a look. We're going to see today what does the word say. Because this statement is not true, but what is the true statement? The true statement is this. You treat different kinds of people differently. This is the truth. Treat different kinds of people differently. Again, does that sound kind of weird? Sounds countercultural, counter-Christian maybe. Because doesn't it sound like discrimination? It does. And that's what the Bible says. 
you and I should discriminate. And we know this, right? Like, if somebody came to you and said, hey, I'd like to watch your child. And that's grandma. You're like, right on. Anytime. Anytime you want to do this, all the time, every day. Come watch them. But if a different person makes the same statement, hey, I want to watch your child, and they're a convicted convict. You know, they're a convict, just got out of jail. It's like, uh, uh, probably no. No, definitely no. You're not coming over. Like, you don't know where I live, right? Like, that's what you're going to do. You're going to treat different people differently. Now, of course, Christians, we're supposed to love everybody. We're supposed to be gracious with everybody, patient with everybody. But here's the deal. You love different people differently. And that's what you're going to see from Scripture today, that you love different people differently. And the key in those words is different kinds of people. There are different kinds of people according to the Bible. So we've talked about um, there, there are saved people and there are lost people. We've talked about that. There, there are Christians and there are non-Christians. There, there are true teachers and false teachers. That's what we've been seeing if you've been with us through Galatians. But Proverbs describes three kinds of people that all of us need to know really well. But before we jump into that, I, we need to take a step back for a minute and look at Proverbs in general. What is, what is Proverbs all about? Proverbs is, a, um, is an interesting book because it's, it's not about salvation issues. That's what you think when it's in the Bible, it's all about salvation. But Proverbs is different. It's, it's a book about everyday life. It's not necessarily salvation issues. It's, it's everyday life kinds of issues. I, I love the book of Proverbs. If you, if you were to ask me, like, what is your favorite book of the Bible? It's, it's Proverbs. I've taught through it twice. I love this book. And the, for the thing, the thing about Proverbs is like, if you read it, you know, well, what, what's Proverbs all about? It's about wisdom. Well, what is wisdom? Well, if you've, if you've been around church for a while, you go, well, wisdom is the application of knowledge. Okay. Well, that doesn't help much. What, what does that mean? The application of knowledge? Well, let me illustrate it this way. A proverb is just like a one-liner of wisdom. So, so in chapter 15, we just read 10 one-liners. They're all about different things. And, and we have proverbs in our culture too. So here's a proverb in our culture. It's not biblical, but it's helpful. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Now that's a piece of wisdom. And so if you were, I don't know, with a financial advisor, and they were to say to you, hey, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you don't want to put all your money into that one stock. You cut your money in different pieces and put it in a bunch of different places. And then if, if one falls, the other raises, you know, and you're going to keep your money. And it's, oh, that's good. That's good advice. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Great advice. Except on your wedding day. Right? Your best man or your maid of honor says, hey, before you take this stage, got a piece of advice for you. It's wisdom. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Probably not. The, you probably picked the wrong person to be your best man or your maid of honor in that moment, right? Because while, see, the, the thing about wisdom is it knows what piece of knowledge applies in what context. So it's not just these general ideas, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know in some contexts that piece of wisdom is needed and necessary and helpful. And in other contexts, that is not something you should follow at all. So that's the application of knowledge that, that Proverbs gives. And what <clears throat> the, the frustrating part of Proverbs is that it's not like chapter 15 is all about wisdom in your mouth. And then chapter 16 is all about wisdom and friendship. And chapter, you know, the next chapter is all about wisdom and alcohol or whatever. Like, 
It's not how it works. It's just all scattered all over the place in Proverbs and Job and in Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. It's all over the place. So as a result of that, you got to read all over the place and pull together all of these ideas so you get a picture of like, what does Proverbs say about this subject? Well, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to seek to get biblical wisdom. But before we do that, our world has a way to get wisdom. Right? Our world tells us, here's a way to become wise. Here's a, here's a method that is going to help you become wise. Keep this, keep this thought in your mind as you're going through life, especially junior high, high school, college. Here's the way to get wisdom. You ready? Live and learn. Live and learn. You're going to make a bunch of mistakes. You're going to go through a lot of pain. But hopefully you'll get some wisdom out of that and you won't keep making those mistakes over and over again. That's what the world says about how to get wisdom. You live and you learn. Proverbs says, no, not at all. Don't do that. Foolish. Proverbs is the exact opposite. It says, hey, wouldn't you rather be wise and avoid pain? Wouldn't that be a better way to become wise? And Proverbs says, yes. Instead of live and learn, Proverbs says, learn and then live. Learn these truths. Learn these pieces of wisdom. Get this, these skills. Apply it to your life and you'll be wise. And so that's what we're going to do today. This message is about relational skill. This message is about um, the skills that we need so that we're not weak relationally. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, one, I want to help you in your lives. And this is going to be helpful in any context where you interact with people. So job, school, home, everywhere where there's other people, this is going to be applicable. But the reason I'm talking about it is because I believe one of the main reasons that churches fail has nothing to do with theology. It has everything to do with relationships. It has everything to do with not understanding how to do relationships in a wise way. And so that's why we're talking about this today because I don't, I don't think we're going to be vulnerable theologically, like I said. But I think if we are not wise relationally, that will make us weak. And there is a roaring lion out there who is seeking to devour churches. And more often than not, he devours them through relationship. And so that's why we're looking at this passage today. We all need relational wisdom. And when we jump into Proverbs, what we find is that Proverbs tells us there are three main kinds of people in the world. There are three, kind, three main kind of people in Proverbs, kinds of people in Proverbs. There's the wise person, the foolish person, and the evil person. Wise, foolish, and evil. Meaning, if you check out in a minute, if you check out from... This moment on, you're going to miss the main point of the message. And the main point of the message is this. If we are to treat some people differently than others, it's not based on age. It's not based on race. It's not based on whether or not we click with them or not. We treat different kinds of people differently based on their character. You see that? If you're like, ah, I still don't know about that. Good. We're going to jump into the scriptures and I'm going to show you why this is true and that this is true. We treat different kinds of people differently based on character. Now, I'd like to tell you that everybody falls very nicely and neatly into these three categories, but it's not true. 
We don't fall neatly and nicely into these three categories. We um, often are all three at the same time. That's why you can find somebody who maybe is, uh, is very wise when it comes to, to marriage, but a complete fool when it comes to finances and is like utterly evil when it comes to business. They can be all three. We can, we can jump back and forth in these things and we can, we can develop compartments. And so things that we know over here don't cross over to this section over, to this area of life over there. That, 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 that there is a sense that we are truly all three of these things. But the, the question is, one author put it this way, he said, all of us have all three. It's just some tend to make a career out of one of them. And so that's what we're going to do today. By God's grace, he's going to expose which one of these three people we are and which one of these three people we are dealing with in our relationships. What we're going to need is not just exposure to God's word, but we're also going to need to live what we learn. When we do that, we become wise. So one last thing to intro. Proverbs says a lot about these three kinds of people. But there is one way that over and over again, Proverbs keeps saying, we just saw, saw, uh, saw it in, in Proverbs 15. There's one way that, that Proverbs says, hey, this is an indicator. This is a glaring light that says you, this is the kind of person you're dealing with. And it's this. This is the test that Proverbs gives. How does a person respond to truth? How do they respond to truth? How do they respond when reality and them are brought face to face? What is their response to that? How, do, how, is their, how does their heart express itself in that moment? How do they react? What do they do when confronted with reality? And here's what happens. When a person responds a certain way, they categorize themselves. You're not putting them in categories. You're not going to put you here and put you there. Their response, the descriptions I'm going to read, put them in the categories already. This is what, what Proverbs does is it gives you a grid to evaluate. It gives you a grid to evaluate a lot of things, most important of which is people. How do we understand people? And once they categorize themselves, Proverbs tells you, this is how you should treat them. This is how you love them. This is how you show them grace. This is how you be patient with them. It is very clear this is the way things should work if you want to have a good life. So we're going to start in the category um, that Proverbs says the least about, but it's the category that everybody wants to be in. We're going to start with the wise. And so uh, all of us want to be here. But let's let Proverbs tell us where we are. And one last piece of warning, sorry, one last piece of warning. It's going to be very natural while I'm speaking and describing the wise and the fool and the evil person. It's going to be very easy for you to do this. Gosh, so-and-so needs to listen to this. (laughs) Right? Oh, so-and-so should be here. It is going to be very tempting for you to do that. So let me say this. I'm going to say this over and over again. Examine yourself before you examine someone else. Point here before you point there, okay? So now, um, Proverbs has a lot to say about wise people. Typically, in a sermon, I'm going to, I would give you all of the verses that we're going to look at, but there's over 200. So I'm not going to do that for you today. So if you're like, I don't know about what this guy's saying, and I got to check him out, this is how you do it, okay? This is how I did it. I went to BibleGateway.com. I typed in wise and pressed enter. And then I looked at every passage in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Psalms on wise people. And then I went to fool 
and I did the same thing. And I went to evil, and I did the same thing. And I went to wicked and did the same thing. If you do those things, you're like, I don't know if I believe that preacher guy. Do that, and you will see every single thing I tell you today comes right out of the Bible. All right? So what we learn when we do that first is that wise people are humble. They are not self-destructive. They um, are actually self-controlled. They control their emotions. They are emotionally cool under pressure, Proverbs says. They're actually peacemakers. It's one of the things that Proverbs says most about them is that they're peacemakers. They don't pour gasoline on a situation. They are able with their character to diffuse a situation. Ecclesiastes is clear that they, their, their lives aren't perfect. You know, they're going to go through trials just like everybody else, but they are people of substance. They're people of health. In general, they turn away from evil. They are a help and a joy to those around them, especially closest family members. Now remember, before we examine ourselves, others, let's examine ourselves. So what is the main thing that Proverbs says about a wise person? The main thing it says over and over and over again is this, point number one, wise people embrace correction and they change. Wise people embrace correction and change. So when, the, when correction comes to their life, they love the messenger. And the wise person says, thank you. And they're happy. That's how a wise person responds to, to correction. There's gratitude. They're, they're grateful to others and they're grateful to God. Listen to Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Don't hate it. Love it. Don't be weary of his reproof for the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. In other words, a wise person knows there's the connection between love and correction. They don't see those things as opposites. Wise people know that the person who is correcting me loves me and they are grateful for it. Proverbs 10.8, the wise of heart will receive commandments. Proverbs 12.15, a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 13.10, with those who take advice is wisdom. And more than that, the wise person loves the person who is correcting them. They love it. They love that person. Listen to Proverbs 9, 8. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. He doesn't push that person away. He doesn't say, get away from me. I don't want you in my life anymore. The, the, the wise person grabs those people who correct them and pull them closer. They're grateful for them. They love them. And by embracing this correction, the wise person actually grows wiser. So when truth comes into a wise person's life, they embrace it and they embrace it because they're humble and teachable, which means that they're not convinced that they see the world correctly. Everyone else doesn't. They admit mistakes. They own their sin. They're humble. They know there's no growth or there's, where there's no confession, where there's no admitting that they've done wrong. They want to know where they're off so they can change. They're grateful to the person that has the courage to tell them. They're open to correction because mistakes are opportunities to get better. And they know that. They don't want to be saddled with bad character. They want to get rid of all the bad character they can because they want to have a good life. And they don't want anything keeping them from that, especially them. They think it would be foolish not to listen to correction because they know they'll have a good life. So here's the process for the wise person. They make a mistake. Somebody corrects them. They embrace the correction and they change. And then they love the person that corrected them. You see that? That's a wise person. 
This is the kind of person that changes their life when you give them advice. This is the kind of person that you get a really good return on investment because the time you spend with them produces results because they listen and then they change and they listen and they change and they listen and they change. They, they go from problem A and they solve it to problem B and they solve it to problem C and they solve it A, B, C, D, E, F. They're, 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 there's this sense of like I'm growing and I'm changing and I'm getting better with this person. Coaching with them is a joy. So this is the kind of person you want in your life. This is the kind of person you want to bring close to your life. This is the kind of person you want to keep in your life if you can. Because here's the thing, wise people distance themselves from not wise people, as we're going to see shortly. These people are a source of life and faithfulness, a source of love and health and blessing and knowledge and strength and stability. They look out for others. They consider others' feelings. They're not just consumed with how they feel. This is the kind of person you want to marry. And if you didn't, then praise God that you're here right now, and hopefully they are too. And if they're not, this will be online tomorrow. You know? Remember, examine yourself before you examine others. These are the kinds of people you want to go to for advice. These are the kinds of people that you want influencing every area of your life. This is the kind of person you want to hire. This is the kind of friend you want to have. This is the kind of child you want to raise, which means parents. This is the kind of person that we need to model to our children. This is the kind of person that you should be praying your children become friends of and marry someday. That this is the wise person. These are the kinds of people we want as elders and leaders and And we want all of you to, the the goal is that all of us take this criteria so that as we go out into the world, we go, okay, that person is getting through my wisdom filters. And wow, I need to spend more time with that person. I need more of that person in my life. I need them to give me advice. When I have this, this, this moment of crisis, I need to go to that person. Uh, my, my prayer and hope is that your elders, that, that, that we will be that for you if you need that. We want you to take that and so that you, you go out into the world with that, with that grid, but also so that you'll be able to see those people and begin to emulate their behavior. So wise people embrace correction and they change. So have you made a career out of that? What did Proverbs just tell you about yourself? Are you wise? If that's not your career, I'm sorry to tell you, but you might be Proverbs person number two. And that is the fool. My research this week, I learned that there is probably twice as much about the fool in Proverbs as there is about the wise person. Twice as much. More about the fool than the wise. And I think that's God saying, you really need to be able to identify these people. You really need to be able to know who, who they are. You really need to be able to identify this in yourself so that you can change. Because if we minimize our exposure to fools, we'll have a good life. Now, before I jump into this, this doesn't mean that um, we're not gracious and loving and kind and patient with the people that are going to be described here. What it does mean is that patience and love and kindness and grace looks a certain way. And that's what Proverbs is going to help us see. What is that way? So make no mistakes. The heroes of our world, the spirit of our age, will be found in this description. You will maybe think of people in our world that fit the things we're going to say here. But remember, point here before you point there. 
So the first thing, I guess, that we need to know about fools is that God takes no pleasure in them, but actually promises to punish if they don't repent. And that's because a fool is arrogant. They think that they deserve to be in the God position. They exalt themselves. And they they see themselves in a God position because they see themselves as always right. They're always right. There's no sense that they ever make mistakes. There's no sense that they ever believe something that's false. They're always right, Proverbs 12, 15. Which means rather than changing, they think people should change for them. Just like God, who is the king of the universe and is the standard of all things good, says we change in light of him. Well, they think they deserve that place. A fool is dominated by self. They are especially dominated by their their, uh, feelings And that's because ultimately they trust themselves, making them irresponsible, unteachable. They are an excuse factory. Ecclesiastes 10.14 says they talk a lot. They love giving their opinions and they do it with no filter. They just say what they think, just comes out. You're like, oh, you know, I'm being honest. You know, it's how they cover that. If it's malicious or it's gossip or slander, they don't necessarily intend to harm, according to Ecclesiastes 5.1. They, they don't necessarily know that they're doing evil. A fool doesn't always know when he's doing evil. And as we're going to see, the evil person, the difference between the fool and the evil person is intent. We'll get to that in a minute. Fools are called hot-headed. They're given to anger. They often fight with those around them. They, they don't diffuse conflict. They escalate conflict. They pour gasoline on conflict so that things get worse when they enter the room, not better. They love to have fun, so they're often the life of the party. But the problem is, is they're the kind of person that will, will take pictures of that and put it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and lose jobs. Because they have to tell other people about their foolishness. They can't hold it in themselves. They proclaim foolishness. They're proud of it. They're energized by it. They repeat it. They show others how foolish they are. And they're not just happy with being fools by themselves. They teach other people how to be fools with them because it's not fun to be a fool by yourself. And so fools get an army. It warns that fools can't be trusted and, it warn, and Proverbs warns that those who are closest to them will experience sorrow and grief. And it could even lead to the point, according to Proverbs, that the foolish person could ruin the lives of those who are closest to them. And I think at the core, Proverbs 17.10 tells us why that is. Proverbs 17.10 says that the fool is hard-hearted. They're stubborn which I think explains what is most often said about the fool in Proverbs. The thing that Proverbs says most about fools is also the test for identifying fools. And it's this, foolish people reject correction and then suffer. Point number two, foolish people reject correction and suffer. So instead of saying thank you when corrected, the fool shoots the messenger. They say, instead of thank you, they say, no, thank you not interested. And then what often happens is they'll start pointing out to you negative things about you because you corrected them. So they are, so they're going to deflect the correction you try to give them and they're going to push it back on you and say, well, you're not perfect either. You know, you do ABCD. The characteristic most often said about fools is that they do not listen to correction. And really, why should they, right? Proverbs twelve fifteen: a fool is right in his own eyes. You can't correct me. I'm right. 
Their interpretation of reality is to be trusted in no one else's, no matter how wise. So that's why Proverbs 15, 12 says that a fool avoids those who correct him. They run away from people who correct him. Like, I don't want to be around that person because they're going to tell me I'm wrong all the time. Proverbs 28, 26, a fool trusts in his own heart. My interpretation of reality is accurate. I don't need anybody else. I trust in myself. Sounds a lot like every Disney movie I've ever seen. I don't know what that means. Well, it means that Disney's foolish is what that means. But anyways, it says often in Proverbs that the fool hates wisdom, instruction, and knowledge. They find no joy in understanding. In fact, wisdom, it says in Proverbs 26, is useless to them. Probably because it's not fun. as a result, though they will say otherwise, in reality, they're not interested in improving. They get defensive. They refuse to admit mistakes. The problem is other people. It's not me. Instead of making new mistakes and improving and making more, another mistake, a different mistake and improving and, and, and another mistake in some other area and improving, it's the same thing over and over and over and over because at their heart, the fool is never wrong. Because their life is marked by ruin and failure very often. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says that they turn to alcohol. And it says that the most likely future for the fool is destruction and ruin. And that their foolishness could actually lead them to death. It's like heavy. So as we take a step back from Proverbs now and we say, okay, well, what am I supposed to do with that? How should I respond to that? Proverbs says, this is the way that you love them. This is the way you show them grace. This is the way that you are patient with them. It says, do not argue with them. Do not rebuke them. Do not correct them. Unless you like insults. That's a funny one. Proverbs 9, I think verses 7 to 9 says, don't correct a fool unless you like insults. How many of you like insults? Yeah, I don't know about you. Don't like them that much. And so Proverbs instead says there, there are times when you shouldn't even speak to the fool because they will hate you. Proverbs 23, 9. So what it says, though, is how do you respond to the fool? You don't correct them. It says you punish them. Often you'll see in the Proverbs, it talks about physical punishment, but obviously you don't do that. You don't punch anybody. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that there, there has to be consequences for their actions. That this isn't you give them correction that say, thank you so much, you're great, I'm going to change now. It's the exact opposite. They have to sit in that truth. They have to sit with those consequences. Because the, the desire to change has to, be, has to be greater than the desire to stay the same. And so what Proverbs does is it puts, it says, the wise person puts those consequences. The wise push person puts those punishments into that relationship. And then it says, if all of that fails, Proverbs 22.10, it says to remove them from your life. But again, that's if possible. I mean, if I just described your spouse or your child or a close family member, you don't have the option to remove yourself. That's not there. But that, that does mean that there can be consequences and, and those kinds of things. Let's take a step back from that, though. If that's another team member at work or a friend or family member, then boundaries, consequences, limited exposure may be the answer. 
these people should not be trusted with incredibly important things in your life or in your businesses. They shouldn't be trusted with those things, according to Proverbs. If, if this is an employee, after discipline and consequences, you help them find a new job. If this is an employer, uh, like trust God and find a new job, right? Like Proverbs is saying you've got to limit your exposure because what well, we're going to see in a minute. When it comes to fools in church, fools often get into positions of leadership because they're very fun and they're outgoing and they can, they can rally a crowd. They, they're often experts in certain areas of their lives. But what happens is that their foolishness kind of squirts out. It's like, whoa, what was that? You know, you just, I remember being involved with a, a, a group of, of students once. We were all in college and they were serving in ministries and and so we're, you know, talking about the Lord all the time. I'm a brand new Christian, less than, less than a year as a Christian. So I'm interacting with all these people. And then something like, hey, after junior high group tonight where they were all leaders, hey, let's go to Taco Tuesday and get wasted. I was like, like what? Did, did I just hear that? That's what I mean. Their foolishness sneaks out, squeaks out. You know, you're interacting with this per, these people, you know, in your small group or whatever. And they're like, you know, I don't want to gossip. I got a prayer request for someone else, you know? And that's when you're like, uh-oh, slander, gossip. That's evidence of foolishness. Uh-oh, this isn't good right now. Now, what the, some of the other identifiers and behaviors of foolish behavior is quarreling and quick temper, deflecting correction, refusing to change. If all of that is seen and understood and known, like you need to get help in your, you need to get help for how to, how to interact with them, how to treat them differently, but still treat them with love and grace and compassion. It's like Jesus. He was loving to everybody, but different kinds of people got different kinds of love from him. So one author says, you know, okay, here's what you should do. If you've got a foolish person, let's say they work for you, or let's say that they're a close family member. He says, ask them, look, the ways that we've talked about these things before haven't been helping, you know, because the same behavior is still happening. Ask them, how can I speak to you in a way that you will embrace and understand? And this author said, sometimes when, when that happens, the person will then just, he said, he's seen it where people just break down in that moment. And like, I just always feel like a failure and blah, blah, blah. I just don't even know what to do. And, and this is a moment of grace. When you, when you put it in their court and you say, how can I help you? Help me help you. Help me speak to you in a way that you understand. And then he said, the second question is just as critical. If this doesn't work, what should the consequences be? If this doesn't work, what should the consequences be? And that way you're helping them say, okay, I'm setting, I'm setting this here. But what I want you to hear most about the fool is that there is hope for the fool. The fool can change. The fool can grow. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. We, we, what we do is we, we take that and we, go, we, we just apply that to children, but that's not the point. The point is, as we, we come out from that, that is the way to deal with the fool. That is what drives foolishness out of their hearts. It's discipline. So a fool can change. But like I said before, they don't change just because they're given truth. If they, if they did, they'd be wise. Fools change when they have to camp out in the truth, when they feel the truth. 
when the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing. There's a lot more that could be said. Well, you know, pastor, if, if that's me or, well, then how do I become wise? Well, first of all, if you're asking that question, that's a great question to ask because the fool never does that. The fool right now is getting angry at me for describing him because he thinks that I know about his life and that like his wife told me how foolish he is. And so he thinks I'm talking to him right now. I'm not. But what I am doing is saying, here's just the categories the Bible says, and they're super practical, and uh, maybe that's because they're from God. But anyways, what does the Bible say about how, to, how we become wise? If, if we've been hearing this, and it's like, oh, I, I want to change. You know, I'm feeling the desire I need to change. Well, the first thing the proverb says is that wise people fear God. And fearing God means living your life knowing that he's watching. Let me say that again. Fearing God means living your life knowing that he's watching. That's why Proverbs all the time says the fear of the Lord means, leads to, means to turn away from evil. Well, obviously, if I believe God is watching, I'm not going to do evil. I'm going to turn away from that because I don't want him to see that. The first thing we do is we fear God. It's just like uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our desire to be pleasing to him. We know that he's watching. We want to please him. We're not doing that to earn our salvation because we can't. We're doing that in gratitude for our salvation. Second way we become wise is we have to want wisdom. We have to want it. This is something where where Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9 of Proverbs, is 14 sermons with the same message. Could you imagine if I preached 14 sermons in a row and they all had the same message? You're like, I think I heard that one. Well, Proverbs knows that we're foolish. Proverbs knows that we need to hear things over and over and over again. So it's 14 pounds of a hammer onto our head with the same message. Get wisdom. Uses all kinds of metaphors. Get it. Buy it. Love it. Embrace it. It says it in in Proverbs uh, 3. It says that, that it is more precious than jewels, it is more costly than gold, and that nothing you desire compares with wisdom. So you've got to want it. Third, Proverbs 2, 6 says that um, God gives wisdom. You should pray for it. Pray for wisdom. How do I grow wise? I fear God. I want wisdom. I ask God for wisdom. And then number four, the Bible says that the uh, this is Psalm 19.7, that the Bible makes us wise. And so we expose ourselves to more and more Bible. More and more Bible, more and more knowledge. We will know then where, how to apply it. So fear God, want wisdom, pray for it, study the Bible, and you will be wise. Now fools reject correction and they suffer for it. And if that's been you, then you have had a hard life. This has not been an easy life, has it? This has not been fun. And Proverbs says, I know. If you made a career out of this, please reconsider today. Embrace correction. Pray for wisdom. But if neither of these two really described you, I'm really glad you're here, but Proverbs says you're going to hate me. Because what that means is that you don't belong with the wise or the foolish means that you might belong with the evil person. 
And that's dangerous for me because of everything Proverbs says about what evil person people think about correction. So in my research on evil people, in Proverbs, what I've learned is that there's twice as much said about the evil person as is said about the foolish person. So if, I don't know, if, uh, if wisdom is like a golf ball, if it's a golf ball size of information in the Proverbs, and foolishness is like a baseball, then we're talking the earth when it comes to evil and what it says about evil people in the Proverbs. And what it's basically saying is this, you and I can't be so loving and accepting that we're naive. That evil people don't just exist in movies. They exist in real life. And that doesn't shirk our responsibilities to love them and be patient and kind and gracious. But it means that we love them and we're patient and we're kind and we're gracious with them in different ways. And that's what we're going to see here in Proverbs. They are real. God tells us about them because he wants you and I to be on guard. He wants us to have these filters to go, "Uh uh-oh, check, 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 check. Those behaviors have a conclusion and those conclusions are evil. And see, this is why I said before, um, I know this feels weird because we're not supposed to think about people like this. We're not supposed to judge them. Here's here's what I said before. I'm going to say it again. You don't do this. Proverbs judges them. Proverbs says, here is how these people live. Here is how they act. You don't categorize them. They categorize themselves by their behavior. Does that make sense? So we're not standing up here going, oh, we're so great and we're, we're wise and all these fools and evil people. That's not it. Proverbs is saying, I'm going to give you skill. I'm going to give you relationship skill so that when you look out into the world and interact with people, you know the kind of people to bring close. You know the kind of people to keep at a distance. And you know the kind of people to run away from. The evil are those people. So according to Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Evil people don't fear God. They do not live their lives thinking about God at all. He will actually, the evil person will actually use religion to feel very religious, but they do it for evil reasons, Proverbs 21, 27. Like fools, they're prideful and arrogant, but unlike fools, they actually desire evil. They plot and scheme. They sit back and think, how can I do these evil things? And they plan it. And not only do they plan it, when they, when they do their evil deed, whatever that is, they enjoy it. They love it. When they talk, they encourage apostasy. So they encourage people to run away from God, to turn from him, to turn from what's right, to turn from the good. So these are false teachers. Proverbs says they have crooked speech. Meaning they're the kind of people that start rumors Start the slander, start the gossip, start the lies, and then they're the ones that spread it. And they know they're doing it. They feed on the speech, the evil speech of other evil people. They, they congregate with other evil people, and they listen to other evil ways to get better at evil. In community, so when they're interacting with other people, they're the kind of people that look at quote-unquote good people and, and don't like them. The goody two-shoes, get out of here. They lead people away from God. They lead people away from what is good, Proverbs 12, 26. 
They cause fights. They breed hatred. They actually plan ways to harm people and they show no mercy. And, and, and evil people seem to love fools because they know foolish people are manipulatable. So when, so when a person doesn't have these categories, they don't respond to correction, they think wisdom is useless and all of that, they don't have the filter to go, you're not a good person. They just go, oh, you're kind of fun. Oh, yeah, let's go have fun, blah, blah, blah. They, they're not thinking along these lines. Wise people are. Fools aren't. And the evil person knows that so that they're like, oh, yeah. Hey, did you hear about da, 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 da? And then the foolish person just runs with it. And they're using that foolish person to exploit them and use them for their own gain. Sound like someone who died this week? Based on this criteria, Hugh Hefner was an incredibly evil person. Not the saint, uh, not the liberator of women uh, like our stupid culture is making him out to be right now. I don't want to, I'm, I'm not dancing on the guy's grave. So don't get me wrong. But he is a perfect picture of an evil person. Proverbs says, listen, listen to this description of evil people. They don't fear God. They hate what is good. They desire evil. They rejoice in evil. They lead others astray and increase sin in the world. Doesn't matter how smiley or nice a person is. If they do that, Proverbs says they're evil. And if, the, and if our world had the criteria in the 1960s, and they were living by that criteria in the 1960s, they would have looked at him and went, you are evil, and we want nothing to do with you. Our culture's foolish. So all the foolish sheeple went, oh yeah, you're great. And he used him, used all of them to exploit them and get rich. Now at their core, the evil person is what Proverbs says. Proverbs calls them a, it says that they have a perverted heart. And I don't, know why the, I don't know why ESV uses that word to translate the, the word behind the word perverted. Because what that word means is that inside their heart is a desire to overthrow and defeat. So in their heart, there's a desire to overthrow God. In their heart is a desire to overthrow what's good. In their heart, there is a desire to overthrow good things happening in the world. And anybody that stands in their way. So how do we treat the evil person? How do we love them? Point number three, evil people should be removed, not corrected. Evil people should be removed, not corrected. Again, Proverbs says, if you like being insulted, correct them. If you, if you like it when people say bad things about you, then go ahead and correct them. Because what the evil person does is the evil person doesn't say thank you when they're corrected. And they don't say no thank you when they're corrected. The evil person says, I'll get you when they're corrected. Inside of them, they don't just hate the messenger, shoot the messenger. They want to destroy the messenger. One author put it this way. He said, with evil people, it's lawyers, guns, and money. It's... If, if these people work for you, you better lawyer up. If these people are coming after you, like, you need to call the police. If these people work for you, you might need to bribe them. 
because you need to get them as far away from you as possible. I had friends like this in high school and college. My chooser must have not been very good back then. And these are the kinds of friends that they don't get mad. They what? They get even, and when they get even, it is final. Those are the evil people. The hope is that the evil person, the wicked person, will repent. Proverbs 3, 7 says that. Proverbs 8, 13 says the hope is that they will fear the Lord. But here's the deal. That's God's job, not yours. That's God's job. The key is God can help them, you can't. So give them nothing. Proverbs says, don't give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't show weakness or fear. Proverbs 25, 26. Move quickly to punish, defeat, and remove. That's like harsh. But that's because Proverbs is saying, they will destroy your life. They will destroy you. They will take you down. Move quickly to punish, defeat, and remove. Proverbs 21, 15 says that they are terrified of justice. They, they do not want to, they do not like the idea of you get what you deserve. And so Proverbs says, give them justice. Let them see justice in other areas and it will terrify them. And maybe that will move them to repentance. If you married this person, please call one of the pastors. Please let us help you. If this is your child, I say this with all love, knowing how difficult it would be, put them in jail. If this is your employee, remember lawyers, guns, money. This is a bad person to have around you. The goal with evil people is no exposure to me. Self-protection. Because like I said, they want to destroy you. That's the first reason you want no exposure. And the second reason is, is because Proverbs says destruction is coming for them. And you don't want to be next to them when that happens. You don't want the uh, Shamu splash effect. When all of the horrible things, when all of the... Yeah, when, when, when all of the justice comes upon them, you don't want to get wet from it. You want to stay away. Because Proverbs says, destruction, hatred, defeat, shame, disgrace, confusion is going to be their future. It's going to boomerang back onto them, so just run. Why? Because Proverbs says God is watching them. He says that, He says that he hates their thoughts, he hates their lives, he hates their religious activity, he curses them, condemns them, judges them, and punishes them. Again, it's one of the basic laws of the universe. What a man sows, that he will also reap. But before it says that in Galatians 6, 7, it says, God is not mocked. God sees all of it, and he says, I will be gracious I'll be gracious, I'll be gracious, but my grace will come to an end and then justice will take over. And God's like, you don't want to be there when that happens. You want to see this stuff going on through people's lives and go, time to go, I'm out. I'm not the person that can help you. The only person that can help you is God. Is that hard to do? Yes. Does that feel not Christian? Yes. Is that exactly what Proverbs says? Yes, because that loves them. That is how we love them. Now, much of this has been bad news for the fool and for the evil person. 
This Proverbs is like, right, it's ripping off the blinders that we have on our own foolishness and our own evil. It exposes us for who we really are, not who we hope to be or who we want others to think we are. So if you've heard a little bit too much about yourself in the description of the fool or the evil person, I have really good news for you. I have really good news. And the good news is this. Jesus is merciful to foolish people. Listen to Titus chapter 3, verse, verses 3 to 5. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish. We were disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. There is mercy for foolish people. But it takes the foolish person saying, I'm going to trust what scripture says about me instead of myself. And that proverb says it's practically impossible. So it takes an act of mercy where Jesus opens their eyes and lets them see, and then they repent. And to the evil person, Jesus has a message. His message to the evil person is friendship. Listen to Colossians 1, 21 and 22. It says, you once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He, that is Jesus, has now reconciled us. Reconciliation means that uh, where there was war and where there was conflict, there's now peace and friendship. He's removed the conflict. He's replaced it with peace and friendship in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you who were, who were evil and hostile to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If if person number three was more and more of a description than you hoped it would be, listen to Luke 6.35. About God, it says that he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So come to him. He's not, he is, he is, his arms are open and he's saying, I will receive you. I will, I will forgive you if you confess, if you repent. Now, the reason I talked about this today is because we need wisdom. We need discernment. Without this, we're vulnerable personally, we're vulnerable spiritually, and we're vulnerable as a church. And so I wanted to get this into the water. I wanted to get this, these categories into the water. I don't want to do that at the expense of love and grace and kindness and patience and long-suffering and other fruits of the Spirit. But it's not either or. It's both and. And it's both and because love looks differently for different kinds of people. And let's think about this for a second. So should you correct an evil person? No. That's what we just saw. You don't correct them, you punish them. There's constant, I'm sorry, you don't, you don't punish them, you, you remove them. You get as far away from them as possible. 
You let them change somewhere else. That is love. That is love for them. That's love for the people that they would influence. So you don't correct an evil person. Should you correct a fool? The answer is no. You discipline them. You give them consequences. You, you, there's, that there's punishment involved with the hopes that they will learn through their pain and that they'll change. That's loving for them because they don't listen to correction. Who are the pers- who's the person that listens to correction? The wise person. The humble person. So you correct them. You even rebuke them depending on how big the mistake is. But in that moment, they will love you and they will change different ways to love different kinds of people. The wisdom, the skill that God gave us today is summarized by this statement. Treat different kinds of people differently. If you do that, if you take the advice of Proverbs and you say, okay, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going, maybe I need to think about this more. Maybe you need to study this more. I've already told you how to do that. Bible gateway, search these words, read the scriptures. You're going to find way more than I even talked about today. But if you do this, if you listen to Proverbs, you will have a good life. You will have a good marriage. You will, have, you, you will teach your, your, your children what they should know. You will, allow that, you will have uh, good business relationships, and all of that's important. But I taught it to you today because I don't want us to be vulnerable in this area. Satan loves to destroy churches through relationships, and if we had these categories, he would not be able to do that here. So let's pray that he doesn't as a result of the wisdom we saw in his word today. Let's pray. God, I don't mean that. I don't mean today to be a hard message at all. I really mean today to be life-giving and helpful. But it is very hard to listen to a message like this and not think about experiences we've had, not think about specific people, and that hurts. I just wonder, did we do things right? Did we say things right? Did we handle this correctly? Are you pleased with that? And so thank you for a book like Proverbs that says, here's some practical wisdom on everyday life. In those moments, we often follow our hearts and not your words, so forgive us for that and help us. God, if there's anything that I said this morning that is not true, not accurate, too, um, too extreme, please remove that from all of our minds and convict me of that, please, so I can come back up here next week and confess it. Help all of us, please, to have this discernment as we interact with people. You gave it to us. You gave us a mountain of, 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 of wisdom in order to help us with this. So please, would you do that with us, I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning. If you are, uh, as the worship team comes back up, there are boxes by the doors for connection cards. If you want